I suppose you heard about the, uh, the little boy sitting next to his friend at church one Easter Sunday, and his friend said, how did you get that bruise on your arm? And the little boy said, well, I, I ate some Easter candy. He said, well, Easter candy won't give you a bruise. He said, it will if it's your big brother's candy. <laughs> well, I, I trust that you're going to have a great day today. Church, Jesus is alive. We have every reason to celebrate, absolutely. We celebrate life. I think about every time we come to the table of the Lord and, um, and we, we, at Bethesda, we lift our cup and we say lahaim, which is a Hebrew word, which one word for us, it means to life, to life, and because that is what Jesus has given us, and we are so thankful for that. Speaking of new life, something took place at the, um, while we were, those of us who were in Costa Rica with the, with Stephen Evans and the lowly team, and I want Steve New to come and give a testimony, because I want you to hear about how Jesus gives new life. Steve, come on, welcome Steve New. He helps Stephen Evans with the Crusades in Central America. We really do never know what's going to happen on a lowly crusade trip. Um, you know, some of the times, a lot of the things seem like they're the same, but you just, you really never know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And on this particular trip, um, there was a man who joined our team. He, he lives down in the valley in South Texas. I'd never met him before. Um, he's a friend of, of Bobby De La Garza. I know a lot of you uh, would know Bobby, and, and they had worked together, and Bobby had had been, you know, talking to him, sharing with him for years, trying to get him to come on a trip with us for years. And so at this point he came and um, what I understood was Bob from Bobby was that he has a Catholic background, he has a heart for the Lord, and it's going to be good. That's about the gist of, of what I knew. Steve, why do you think he came? What, what do you think was the trigger? Not sure. I think the Holy Spirit was just drawing him and I think um, he did have a sincere so a man Belief was just, in God and a desire to do something just good. Just interested in doing something. A mission trip sounded like a good idea. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, something like that. Okay. And um, I talked to him on the phone, you know, before just working out the details of flights and all of that. And I just thought, man, I like this guy. He's just a nice guy. Um, anyway, he comes and he, you know, he's, he's Hispanic and he's fluent in Spanish and English. And so he's serving with us and, and just doing everything with the team. He is translating all week long because actually this time we were a little short on translators. We needed him. And so he's going door to door as we're sharing the gospel. He, he's the voice of translation. And um, in the evening services with us and, and just doing everything with the team. And, and he's a blessing. And um, but as the week is going on, and we're, we're having team devotions, and I, I don't know all how it happened in his heart, but I do know we had talked about um, that really in the context of reaching people, that there are people who are worshipers, they're, they're practicing, you know, they're, they're doing religious activities, they're actually involved in worship, they're close, but they're not saved. And we had talked about that and, and at some point as this week is going on, he, he just begins to recognize and to know inside himself that's kind of where he's at. And he's, and he's troubled and he, he doesn't really know what to do. And I know at one point there was a conversation with one of the team members and they were, they were kind of tugging on him and he was a little resistant. He just didn't know 
what to do or, or, or how to do it, but he, he was beginning to be uncomfortable, and yet seeing something I'm sure that he, he had never seen before that he wanted. And, and it was life in Jesus, and he's participating in it, but he knows that really he's not in it. You know, he, he's outside. And, um, and so he's, he told me later, he was like, I so much did not want to go to that crusade on Friday night not saved. I just, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, but he didn't know what to do. I mean, he didn't know how to get through the door, you know, and um, he just knew he was outside and he, he didn't feel worthy and, and didn't know how to change it, didn't know how to fix it. Well, on Friday morning as a team, we're, we're having our devotion time and communion is a part of that. And, and one of the words that flowed out as, as we were sharing communion was, was the word that we come to Jesus just as we are. That we can come just, I can come just as I am. And, and he related later that when that happened, when he heard that, I mean, he had participated in communion all his life as a Catholic. But when he heard that, something went off inside of him, and he saw it. And he, he understood and he realized what really the gospel meant. He still didn't know how to walk through the door, but, but he saw it. And then later that afternoon, he's talking with some of the members on the team and and it wound up that that Friday afternoon, just a few hours before the crusade, that this brother prayed and accepted Jesus as his Lord Bless and as his Savior. Bless the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Like I say, you never know how the Holy Spirit is going to work. And, and late that night after the crusade was over, which I know you all have already heard some about, it was powerful and so was Saturday night. But um, when, I, when I heard what was happening, I talked to him, and, and we shared. And I just asked him if he would be willing to, to share what happened with the team because I, I knew it would really bless them. I knew it would be good for him. And, and um, he said that he would. And so Saturday night, right before the crusade, we meet as a team. And, and this time it was at 530. We're just going to pray. We're getting ready to go, give some last-minute instruction. He shared that testimony. And, um, and I'm telling you, as, as he opened up his heart and he shared all these things that, that pretty much I've already said, he just broke. I mean, he just broke. Um, so thankful for what Jesus had done for him. And, and he shared that. And, and when he was done, everybody, of course, cheered and celebrated. And I, I knew that would happen um, as we all rejoiced. But then we just quickly... Because we thought, you know, you never know. There, there could be other people. And we don't want to limit what the Holy Spirit might want to do. And so we shared the scripture um, where Jesus said, you know, there's going to come a time when the master of the house will shut the door. And some of you will be outside. You'll say, open up for us, open up for us. I mean, we, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. I mean, we were close to you. We, we were right there. Open the door for us. And he'll say, I never knew you. And we just simply really read that passage from Luke and, 
and then said, you know, if there's anyone else and you're, you're here and you're just, you just need the Lord to bring you through the door. You've been in the presence of God all week, but the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. You need Him to bring you through that door. Uh, we're going to have one song, one song. And, and as this song is being sung and as we worship, stand in the presence of the Lord. And what happened, we had, um, some of you may know, but we had a, a, a large group of students from Bethesda Christian School as a part of this team and also another um, private Christian school here in the Metroplex. And as that song was sang, the Holy Spirit began to move all across that room. And first one, then two, then three, then four young people stood to say, Jesus, I want you, bring me through that door with all of my heart. I want to serve you. And so the Holy Spirit was moving. People were coming into the kingdom before the crusade even started. And it was wonderful. So praise the Lord. Thank you for praying for us. Amen. Thank you, Steve. And I shared with the first service, I think one of my favorite parts of that story is here's a man who doesn't claim to know the Lord, who's decided to come on a missions trip, sounds like a good idea, and he's there because we have a shortage of translators. By the way, when Stephen puts out the call for those trips, we always need people who are bilingual. It makes it so much easier when we have some translators with us. But um, anyway, this man was, was a translator, not claiming to be a Christian, and what's coming into his, some English person is speaking English to him about the gospel. It's going through his mind, and he's having to translate that into Spanish, and then out of his mouth is coming the gospel to somebody else. And by the time it's all said and done, and all of that has processed through him, the Lord says, and I want you too. And I think that's an incredible thing. Come on, give the Lord praise, church. How great is our God? Come on, He's great and greatly to be praised. Oh, Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider the world's lives and I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power the Lift it up, sing it. Then sings my soul, my Savior. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that Oh, my burden black 
As I look at that clock, 11.51, I feel the need to remind you, we didn't start at 10.30 now, right? <laughs> so if you are programmed to walk out of here at noon, we're going to have a problem today, okay? I'll go as fast as I can, maybe, but um, I want to hear from the Word of the Lord today. How about you? Turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 20 story that is so very familiar to us, and I think there's something for us here today. If you will give me your undivided attention for the next few minutes and show respect to the house of the Lord as we declare the word of truth. John chapter 20, starting at the first verse. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone. Say that, those three words, saw already taken away from the tomb, and I want to label that verse Mary's look. Tuck that away for right now. Verse 2, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Obviously, this is John's gospel, but he's not using his own name. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple speaking of himself, went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And I love this verse. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead, talking about himself, ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the, to the tomb first. Doesn't want to give his name, but he wants the world to know he was faster than Peter. I think that's great. <laughs> love that. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings. This is John lying there, but he did not go in. So we're calling that, verse 5, John's first look. Verse 6, and so Simon Peter also came, following him and entering the tomb, he saw, Peter, saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. That's Peter's look. We've had Mary, John's first look. And Peter's look. Verse 8, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. That's John's second look. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went again away again to their own homes. Lord Jesus, would you help us today to communicate the truth from your Word? I'm so thankful today there is life in the Word. Your Word is life to us. Holy Spirit, move amongst us today. Let us lift up Jesus, and as we lift Him up, You will draw men and women to You today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, there is a documentary that is available concerning the death of Medgar Evers. Medgar Evers was a black civil rights worker who was shot to death in his own driveway in Mississippi in 1963. Many of you may know of that story. But in the early 90s, at the request of his son, the body of Mr. Evers was exhumed. It was the hope of the family 
that a new autopsy might shed more light into his death and might give more information as to what actually had taken place because the man who had killed him had spoken of killing him, had admitted it to other people, had, had even bragged about it in some circle situations. He had been allowed somehow in the state of Mississippi to go free. The body was exhumed, and the casket that had been sealed for 30 years was opened. Inside was a body that was remarkably preserved. The body and the clothes on the man were in excellent condition. Now, something drew my attention to this in the last few days, and I happened to watch it and was, was interested in the story and why it, was, why it was there. But then I happened to think, you know, if you watch that doc, documentary, you can't help but think, I couldn't help but think about another time when another grave was opened. But it was not by, opened by the will of man, it was opened by the will of God. For in that grave, those who looked in saw the clothes the body wore, but they saw nobody. Why? Because it would have been the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He had risen from the dead, and He had walked out of that tomb. Bless His name. All that remained in that tomb, the only evidence that, he, that had ever been there, was the presence of His grave clothes. And I am tempted to title this message today, Grave Clothes, because there's, though there are many aspects of the resurrection that we could consider this morning, and all of them are important, all of them are a, bl- are a blessing, all of them are encouraging to believers. This morning, I want us to look at the message that is contained in the grave clothes left in that tomb by Jesus. I want us to see that Jesus left His grave clothes there for a reason. It was all done for a reason. He left them behind because there would be a message there that we needed to hear on Easter Sunday of 2016, and I want us to try to grasp that today. The first message I want us to see, that the message that came from the grave clothes, it is a peaceful message. Say that with me. It is a peaceful message. Now, we just read how John stooped in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, and then how Peter went in and also noticed the linen wrappings, while the cloth that had covered the head of Jesus was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Scripture goes to great detail to give us that piece of information, and I don't think it would be there that the Holy Spirit would not have allowed that piece of information to be there if there weren't something for us. And of course, we know the story well. After Jesus died on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and prepared it for burial, and they placed it in a new tomb that actually belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. After they placed his body in the tomb, the Jewish leaders asked Pontius Pilate to seal the tomb. And and not only that, not only seal it, but place a detachment of Roman soldiers at the tomb to prevent the disciples from stealing the body. They thought that was a possibility that could happen. But the Bible tells us, and the reason that we celebrate this morning, that early on that Sunday morning, some strange things began to take place near that garden tomb. A supernatural event happened, and the stone that was used to seal the tomb was rolled back by an angel of the Lord. How many of you agree with me this morning? That's not just a myth. That's not just a story. That's something that actually took place, and I believe it. Do you believe it today? So the body of Christ was not stolen by the disciples. 
No, because those guys were off in the upper room and they were hiding in fear. They thought it's possible they might be arrested and crucified as well. So they weren't stealing the body. They were trying to protect themselves. This removal of the stone by the angel was done, however, to allow those who came by to see that the body of Jesus was gone. And we've just read it, and we know that when Mary finds the tomb in this condition, she runs and tells the disciples, and Peter and John race to the tomb, thinking all the while that maybe Mary had the wrong tomb, or she had been at the wrong place, or there was some sort of mistake. But yet when they arrive at the scene, they discover, no, it's not been a mistake. It is the right tomb, but the tomb truly is empty. And all that they see when they look in are these grave clothes that we're speaking of today of the Lord Jesus. And they are either collapsed in a pile as if His body literally came right through the clothes, or here's another idea that has been presented. They have been hardened, the clothes have been hardened by the chemicals used by Joseph and Nicodemus in the shape of the body of Christ, resembling what we would think of as a cocoon that he had, that literally he had merely exited out of this cocoon. It's an idea that some historians believe is possibly true. And here's where they get it. Many of your versions of Scripture say this about the grave clothes. They said, and the grave clothes still in their folds. And because that phrase is given to us, that the grave clothes still in their folds, there's the idea that literally it was like it had formed like a cocoon. It doesn't matter. Either way, it paints quite a phenomenal picture for us. And then they see in a place by itself the napkin that Joseph and Nicodemus had used to wrap Christ's face and His head. The tomb is a perfect picture of absolute peaceful order. And that's the first message the grave clothes are giving us today. Not saying that there had been chaos in the tomb. If there had been some sort of struggle or something else, that's not the condition that they would have found those grave clothes. No, the grave clothes send the message that it was a, a peaceful situation. After the news of the resurrection became public knowledge, the Jewish leaders, as we know, concocted a story to try to conceal the fact that Jesus was alive. However, the condition of the, of the tomb proves that to be a lie, because consider these options with me. If it was the disciples that had removed the body of Jesus, as the Jews claimed, how did they do it without disturbing those wrappings? How did that happen? Would they have taken the time to be so orderly about it all? I, I don't think so. Remember that the, the disciples had forsaken Jesus, and they had fled away the night He was arrested. So if not the disciples, what about the common grave robbers? There, we have historical fact there was, there was such a thing. And some had suggested maybe it was grave robbers that had taken the body of Christ. How did they remove the body and yet keep the grave clothes in such perfect condition? If not them, possibly the Jewish leaders had taken His body for fear of what the disciples might use his corpse for, or the Romans for that matter, they would not have taken the time to remove the body from its wrappings. It's very highly unlikely. In fact, they would have simply produced the corpse when the disciples began to proclaim the resurrection. And if that had happened, then Christianity would have dissolved like Alka-Seltzer in water. It would have been all over. The only logical conclusion to the matter is that the tomb was a scene of order and calm because miraculously Jesus had merely passed through 
the grave clothes. And he had folded his own napkin and laid it aside. He left a scene of peace so that all who look in and believe might have peace in their hearts that he is alive and well. And that is the kind of peace that Jesus alone can give. And I can't help but think of it this way because he is the giver of peace. He was even functioning as the prince of peace when he was in the tomb. Bless the name of the Lord. So it is a peaceful message. I think it's a powerful message. The empty cocoon of grave clothes preached a powerful message early on that Sunday morning, told a vivid story of a risen Savior. Think about it. Those garments lying there in that fashion proclaimed to the world that everything Jesus had ever claimed, everything He had preached, everything He had promised was true, even though just three days before the disciples had watched their Lord being arrested, tried, convicted, and crucified. Now, because He was not there, they had the tangible proof that Jesus was alive and well. And here's something I want us to be encouraged with today. Many of us love the promises of God. I hear people all the time saying, I'm claiming that promise, Pastor Dan, and, and something from Scripture. That, there are many promises in Scripture, and that may be true for you today, either for today or this season of time that you're walking through. You may be claiming the promise that says, as your days, so shall your strength be, or maybe the promise that he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you're feeling very lonely and needing a friend, you know you can find that in Christ Jesus, or, or maybe, maybe it's the promise that he will never leave you, or forsake you. Whatever the promise is that you are claiming today, I want you to know that what gives power to that promise is the fact that Jesus is alive. What gives power, what empowers that promise for you today that you are allowed to claim is because Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, and today He is alive. And not only is He alive, but He is the only way to God. I said He is the only way to God. There are all kinds of theories and all kinds of people who are saying all kinds of things. Well, He is a way to God. No, Jesus is the only way to God. Let's be clear about it today. I want to remind you, Mohammed did not die for your sins. Joseph Smith did not die for your sin. Confucius did not die for your sin. The great thinkers of the world did not. Jesus and Jesus alone died for your sin. He's the only way to God. It's a powerful message because it tells us that the Father accepted the death of Jesus on the cross as the payment for the sin debt that you and I had incurred. And the New Testament tells us and confirms some 35 times that Jesus was raised up from the dead by God the Father over and over and over. You can't read through the New Testament without finding that Scripture, and He was raised up by God the Father. If Jesus had been just any other man, his bones would have rotted where they placed his body. But because he was and is the sinless Son of God, it was not possible that death could hold him because he died a sinless death on the cross and he was the perfect sacrifice. God accepted his sacrifice in my place, in your place. And not only that, but another promise, speaking of promises that we get, he gives us this promise, that because he rose, we shall rise from the dead also. Can I tell you, folks, this life on this earth is not all there is. You are designed for eternity, and you will live forever because Jesus lives. 
Reminds me of the old spiritual, ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Ain't no grave. So the message of the grave clothes is peaceful, it's powerful, but it is a promising message. Oh, my goodness. Our text tells us that Simon Peter went into the tomb, and he noticed the grave clothes, and that the cloth that we keep referring to, which had covered the head of Jesus, that cloth was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. But I said it's a promising message. Let me show you what I mean about that. Talking about grave clothes here. There is a known oriental, old ancient oriental custom of the napkin. When a man with servants was eating a meal, he would often use his napkin to signal them during the course of the meal. And now, if he left the table and wadded up the napkin, it meant he was finished and he would not be back. If, however, he neatly folded the napkin, it had a message to the servants that he was simply stepping away for a moment, but he would be right back. Hello. Are you still listening to me? Jesus was telling his disciples, by folding up that napkin or around his head and laying it ever so carefully. There was a message there. I may be out of your sight right now, but I'm going to be right back. <laughs> Hallelujah. When Peter and John arrived at the tomb, they feared the worst. Perhaps they thought the robbers had come or the Jews had taken the body. Even Mary, when she came, she missed the napkin and supposed that the gardener had moved the body of the Lord. And yet John, who had been raised with servants, we need to note that part, probably knew this custom about the napkin. And according to verse 8 of the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John that we are reading today, he looked at that and he quickly grasped the meaning. And you could see it in his eyes. He got it. And the Bible says he saw it and believed. Now this morning, you and I are among those who accept the gospel message of the resurrection by simple faith. Because here's our truth. Here's our reality. We did not see Jesus live in the flesh on this earth. We did not see Him die that day on the Roman gibbet on a hill called Golgotha. We didn't see that. We didn't see the tomb when He had just come out of it. However, there is an ever-echoing message to us in that folded napkin. It is still preaching to us today. It's still sending a message to you today. It's still sending us the message of promise because it's reminding each of us this morning that even though you and I with our physical eyes do not see Him right now, He's saying to us, He's coming back soon and we will see Him in the clouds of glory when He comes. Dear friends, here's our truth. We have the promise of a bright tomorrow because Jesus lives. So the grave clothes send us a peaceful message, a powerful message, a promising message. 
but it's a persuasive message. And our text that we have read this morning from John 20 has much to say about the verb to see. And here's what I want you to follow me. Stay with me, stay with me right here. In verse 1, we see that Mary came to the tomb and looked. We even referenced it as we read it. There's Mary's look. Now, we have the word saw, and she saw. That's our English word. In fact, all through the chapter, and they, he saw, she saw is in there. But I want to unfold that for you and peel back the language of that and let you see what the original Greek language actually said. In verse 1, we see that Mary came to the tomb, and the Bible says, and she saw. The Greek word there for her looking is blepo. Say that word. B-L-E-P-O. Say it again. That, there you go. There's, my friend Randy said Greek grammar is fun. I've got a couple more for you here today. The Greek word for when she saw, it is blepo. What does blepo mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. It means to take a quick glance. You just glance at it. You happen to notice. You, 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 yeah, I saw that. And probably as quickly as you turned your head away from whatever it is that you glanced at, you forgot it. You just saw it, went on. Nothing registered, you happened to see it. That's what it says of Mary when she looked in the grave. Blepo. In verse 5, we see that John, after outrunning Peter, came to the tomb for his first look. And again, the Greek word there is blepo. He happened to glance at it. He happened to glance. John took a quick glance in the tomb, and he just simply saw that Jesus was gone, and that, but his grave clothes are still there. He, he just looked at it and turned away. But when we get to verses 6 and 7, this is now when Peter arrives at the tomb. And it's still in the English, your English version of Scripture. It says, and he saw. Well, but in the Greek, it's a different word, saw. And here's what it is that when Peter arrives there, it's theoreo, T-H-E-O-R-E-O, theoreo. That's the word for when Peter saw. That word has, how can I say it? It has a bit more intensity to it than just a quick fleeting glance. In fact, theoreo means to scrutinize. Uh, it carries the idea of looking around with a, a keen eye to catch all of the details. Some of us are detail-oriented, and we, we see all of the details. When you see, it's theoreo. Well, that's what Peter did when he came. It was not a quick glance that left him immediately. It was theoreo. It brings to mind the idea of an investigator who's looking for every detail when they look and see. That's what Peter did. However... The look of Thereo does not awaken faith, and that's clear to us by what happens in this chapter. It did not awaken the faith. He still didn't believe. He just was looking. He saw the grave clothes. He saw the napkin because he was simply trying to catch all the facts. But when we get to verse 8, John is now taking his second look. Stay with me here. Taking his second look. Remembering that his first look was blepo. But the Greek word now at verse 8, 
for when John looks and when it says John saw. This time, the word used is horao, H-O-R-A-O, horao. And here's what horao means. It means to look with understanding. It carries the idea of fully grasping what you see. When John took the time to take a closer look, he saw the truth in the grave clothes. He saw the folded up napkin. He knew what that meant, and that's when he discovered Jesus really is alive, and the Bible says it clearly to us this way. It says, he saw, horeo, he saw and believed, and something happened within him that awakened his faith. And that only happens by the power of God working within you. Isn't it amazing what we see and how we see it? We can all be in the same room and we could put an object up here and we would all see it somewhat differently. We just don't see. How many of you have ever been with someone that they don't see it the same way you do? I see the little nudging from wives and husbands. I told the first service, I walked into the den last night, I was looking for an example of this, with, and I said, Becky, help me think of some time when you and I looked at something and we didn't see it the same way. Well, she had, after she gave me 40 or 50 examples, <laughs> none of which I can say in the pulpit, <clears throat> I said, I just needed one example, so, but it's true. We don't look at things the same way. And here are three people, the same English word is used, and they saw. They looked and they saw. But oh my goodness, the difference in what they saw and the difference in what they perceived. If a lost sinner looks at the empty tomb, he can come up with all kinds of reasons why it cannot be true. After all, they can uh, simply say when men die, they're gone, and, and they don't get up, and even if they did, they certainly wouldn't pass through their grave clothes. However, when an honest heart takes the time to scrutinize the evidence, they will come to the place that John came to, which is the resurrection must be real. He must really be alive because there is no other logical explanation. No one can explain it away. It is the persuasive message from the grave clothes. And I think, church, that's exactly where we all are today. I make the assumption, maybe, maybe wrongly, but I think I'm right, the assumption that everyone here in this room has taken a look at Jesus. For some of us, the look has been called blepo. That means you've simply taken a fleeting glance. You know, I've heard about him. Yeah, I, you're casual with it. You saw it, turned immediately, and went about your own business your own way. And the moment you turn your head, it's gone. Others of us have been a bit more intense in all kinds of ways, maybe even fascinated with the facts. I think I told you just a few weeks ago that there was a young man in my office who was a, a young musician who come to me for some counsel and advice, does not attend this church, but he, um, he told me about being raised. He'd had a dynamic encounter with Jesus. Oh, my goodness. He couldn't stop talking about the Lord and what the Lord was doing in his life, and it was so 
evident to me that God had supernaturally done a work in his life. Told me about being raised in a pastor's home and that his dad had gone to seminary and not speaking disparagingly of his father in any way. He was kind in the way he said it, but he looked at me and said, Pastor Dan, I don't honestly think my dad has ever been saved. I don't think that he's ever, ever really encountered Christ. And so, you know, for a moment you think, someone has gone to, surely everybody in seminary is a Christian. Surely they've all accepted Christ. And the answer to that is, no, they've not. They've become fascinated with the details. They may like the history. They may have a certain affinity for all the facts of Christianity, but a living encounter with a living Lord Jesus is something completely different. Completely different. And that's what happened to Osvaldo that Steve New told us about. He knew about, but he was standing outside the gate He was standing outside, fascinated enough with the idea to come on a missions trip, but had never had a living encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, outside looking in. And I think there are plenty of people walking in Fort Worth, Texas today who've had a religious background, they've had all kinds of church, maybe they were raised in church, but they're still on the outside looking in. You are not a Christian because you sit in a pew. You are not a Christian because you can quote several verses of Scripture and sing all the songs. You're not a Christian just because you know when to raise your hands or say a certain word. You are a Christian when you have been regenerated and reborn by the Spirit of God and nothing less than that. And our text this morning makes it very clear that the look that John gave when he looked in Hurrah-o! Hurrah-o! It is a supernatural look that someone who has been on the outside looking in. But when they gave a look of hurrah how does that happen? Because a heart that is willing to say, that is almost trembling today with an understanding, I'm still on the outside looking in. I want him. But that day has to come when you say, not because my mother said it, not because my father said it, not because my grandparents thought it was a good idea and preached it or crammed it down my throat all my... No, not because of that. Because when the day comes for you, young man, for you, young lady, that you have to say, Lord, it's me. And I no longer want to stand on the outside. I want to walk through that gate, and I want to be part of the kingdom of God and part of the family of God. Let my looking today be horao. Let it be the look that sees and believes. It's not only a peaceful message, a powerful message. Arthur, come and help me, please. It's not only a promising message, persuasive message. My last point, it's a personal message. As this chapter unfolds, each person who is confronted with the empty tomb and the grave clothes is forced to make a decision. For John, his second look caused him to believe. For Peter, the truth came a bit more slowly. Mary Magdalene had found that her heart was still gripped by grief even after she had looked. Thankfully, she's convinced when she sees the Lord and He reveals Himself to her. The other disciples are unsure of what's happening until Jesus actually appears in their midst with a message of peace and assurance. 
Of course, we know about poor doubting Thomas. He refuses to hear a word they're saying, but then his doubts and concerns are allayed, also put to rest by the personal appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Savior. But here's the fact, and there's no way that you or me or any of us in this room can get around this. When you are confronted by Jesus Christ, and for some of you that's happening today, when you are confronted by Jesus Christ, you have one of two choices. There are no other options. One of two. You either accept the reality and you make the determination that you believe He died for your sin so that you would not be separated from a holy God any longer. You believe that He was buried and you believe that on the third day He was resurrected. He was risen from the grave. You either accept that or you reject it. There's not another option, my friend. And all of these that we've read about today responded by accepting the message of Jesus. But I can't talk to you like this, give you a message like this without asking. I have to ask, what about you? Because you have to do just as I have. Make a decision if you accept it or reject it. You have to make the determination if you're still standing outside. I'm not asking how long you've been a member of a church. No, 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 no. That's a different thing. Are you still standing on the outside looking in? Do you understand that He shed His blood? pay for your sins. Do you understand why that was so critical? Because God in His amazing love looked down from the throne of heaven and could not stand to be separated from you. Couldn't stand it. The pain, the discomfort, the total inability to even grasp or deal with that was within God Almighty. He could not stand to be separated from you. I don't care how unworthy you think you are. I don't think, I don't care how unqualified or, 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 or whatever that you think about yourself. That doesn't matter. God could not stand to be separated from you. And so He sent the best that He had to be the perfect sacrifice. And blood had to be shed. So that everything you've ever done and everything that I've ever done could be forgiven. And once you simply say a simple yes to Jesus, it's all you have to do. Yes, Jesus, I accept you. It's all that has to be done. When that happens, then the veil is rent and you have access to the throne of God. And there's no longer any separation. Some people may try to tell you that this idea of the resurrection that the church around the world today is celebrating, maybe they'll tell you, you know, you just need to accept it symbolically. It's a, it's a theory. The Bible talks in, you know, pictures, and it's, a, it's just a theory. Well, let me just make clear that the Bible says that differently. Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Believe in your heart that God 
raised him from the dead. Very simply, you will be saved. Some people say, oh, oh, but my religion is private. It's just something, it's just, you know, well, that's nice, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you need to open your mouth and unashamed because he was not ashamed of you when he hung upon that cross. So because of that, when you accept Jesus, you need to be willing to stand and say, I accept him, and with your mouth confess that he is Lord. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. But it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I am so thankful that he lives this morning, that he left perfect, indisputable evidence in his tomb that he lives. But the question you and I have to answer is this, is the resurrection real in you today? Have you experienced the power of resurrected life? Because a risen Savior has come to radically change all those who come to Him by faith. That's why the Apostle Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And so I, I'm, I'm just going to ask the honest question, and I'm going to ask you, sir, I'm going to ask you, ma'am, it's time to get honest on this resurrection day of 2016, not a finer day. Because I think it's possible when you heard the testimony from Steve this morning about his friend Osvaldo, who was with us in Costa Rica, I'm guessing there are some people who said in your heart, you know what, that's me. I'm standing on the outside. I'm, I'm on the outside trying to look in. And I cannot say for sure that I have truly encountered the living Lord Jesus. You, know, you may have taken a fleeting glance. You may have been interested or intrigued, fascinated. But today, I'm asking you to take a look at the resurrected Jesus. And if that's true for you and you're ready to say, I believe He died for me and I want to accept Him, I want you to raise your hand quickly where you are so that I can pray with you this morning. Not a finer thing that you can do on Resurrection Day. I see that hand, ma'am. Someone else. Yes, sir. Someone else. Someone else. Someone else. The invitation is to you. I see that in the balcony. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I want us to all stand together right now. And I'm asking because I just told you. When you accept Christ, it is a bold move. And you must confess with your mouth. Those of you who just raised your hand, even if you're in the balcony, slip out from where you are. I see you. Slip out from where you are. And those of you who raised your hand, please step out right now. The person you're with will wait for you and come and meet me here so that we can pray with you right now. And we are going to welcome you into the family of God. And we're going to be so thankful that new life is taking place. Come on, we're waiting right now for you to come. Yes, those in the balcony, come on, come right now. Gentlemen over here, come right now. Come on, church, let's welcome you to the family of God. We'll wait on you. Sing a song as they come. Jesus paid it all. Sing it, church. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a cross. 
best decision you have ever made or ever will make in your life because we believe that because you have been willing to accept the gospel message by faith that God supernaturally beyond your ability is doing something within you and is going to change you from the inside out as you submit and commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ you're going to discover things that you've never seen before you're going to find the colors are richer than they've ever been before you're going to be sensitive to things you've not ever been sens sensitive to before because the Holy Spirit comes and lives within because you have now walked to this front and said, I'm saying yes to Jesus, and you are acknowledging His life that He wants to give you. Let's say this together. So congregation, say it with me as these folks repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are alive today. And because you are alive, I can come to you and confess my sin. And I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that you will forgive me of all of my sin. You will wash me clean. And I am eternally yours. So on this day, Lord Jesus, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. And I am walking from this place today. To live for you all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise. God bless you all. Go back to the angels are rejoicing.